The Stone and Tile Show is proud to be sponsored by the National Tile Contractors Association. The NTCA is a leading trade association in the tile and stone industry dedicated to professional installation of ceramic tile and natural stone. With more than 1,500 members representing thousands of installers, NTCA works hard to be a strong voice for proper installation and qualified labor. The association invests in a professional staff to provide technical support and assistance and offers free educational seminars and regional training opportunities around the country. To learn more about what the NTCA can offer for you or your business, go to the website www.tile-assn.com. That's www.tile-assn.com. Good evening, folks. I'm your host, Fred Houston, and welcome to the Stone and Tile Show. I hope everyone is staying safe out there, wearing their face masks and washing their hands, etc. cetera. Uh, in case you missed last week's show, uh, well, go ahead and take a listen to it. Go back and uh, look in the archives. It was last week's show. I interviewed David Bonacera, and we discussed some of the things that you probably will need to be doing uh, to get your business back up and running, uh, especially if you're in the business, which we all are in, where we have close contact with, with customers. So uh, with that said, I had an interesting uh, conversation with an attorney the other day. And as most of you know, uh, I do a lot of uh, expert witness work with slip fall cases, you know, people slipping and falling, uh, you know, mainly on, on stone tile and, and ceramic porcelain tile, et cetera. And I happened to come across an individual over in the UK by the name of Christian Harris, uh, who does something very similar to what I do here in the States. And, and talking to him, it was interesting how a lot of what they they do and a lot of their concerns in the UK were almost identical to where they were uh, are here in the United States. So I'm going to go ahead and play an interview that I did with him last week. So it's pre-recorded. But after the interview is over, it's about a 35-minute interview. After the interview is over, I'm going to come back and talk a little bit about slip fall and obviously take questions and answers. If you want to call in uh, with your question, the number here is 323-870-3968. That is after this, after this interview plays, 323-870-3968. If during the interview a question comes up, you want to go ahead and send me an email. The email address is fhuston, that's F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N, at gmail.com or hop on Facebook and Messenger or whatever and send me an instant message there and I can uh, address that question with us over. So folks, uh, sit back and uh, here is uh, that interview. Welcome folks. Uh, I have the pleasure of introducing someone from the UK, fresh over from the pond. And uh, it's kind of interesting because uh, some of the stuff that we've talked about before uh, actually apply to all you guys here in the US as well. So let me introduce Christian Harris, who's the founder of Slip Safety Services. He obviously operates in the UK. His company has two key specialties, preventing slip and fall accidents, which are the biggest cause of injuries and insurance claims from most sectors and deep cleaning problem floors. Much of his work has been on stone and tiles, helping specifiers to choose the right surfaces for safety and cleanability, helping floor suppliers to solve post-installation issues, and as shown through various case studies and client testimonials, reducing slip accidents on existing floors by 50 to 100%. Well, Christian, welcome to the show. And uh, this particular this particular topic is 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 big over there. Obviously, it's also huge here. I think the last time I read, the number one lawsuit in the United States: people slipping and falling 
not only on floors, but other surfaces as well. So why, why don't you, you know, I always find it interesting how people get into what they're doing, you know, how, how they got doing. So why don't you tell us a little bit about, about your, how you got into this, uh, this line of work. Sure, Fred. Well, thanks for having me on the show, firstly. And you're quite right that um, it's a big problem uh, here as it is in the U.S. I read something that in the U.S. the cost of slip and falls equated to about 1% of GDP. So that's a big number. Um, And actually, um, uh, answering your question, one of the reasons I got into this field was was because there was this huge problem that I became aware of. And there didn't seem to be a particularly good solution for it at the time and I've been doing this now for over 10 years and uh, so that that was kind of interesting for me in terms of um, a market opportunity but also I used to be a management consultant so kind of advising banks or pro equity companies Mm -hmm. on whether they should buy this company or that company and I kind of wanted to do something that was doing more good in the world if that makes sense so yeah uh, what I love about what I do is is that um you know, we're actually making a positive difference to both our clients directly, but also their customers, you know, by uh, giving them nicer environments to work and play in and by ensuring that they're safe. Great. That sounds wonderful. Now, you know, what type of, you know, when it comes to the slip fall uh, accidents over there, you know, what what are some of the problems you're seeing with, with your clients, uh, clients, lawyers? Well, it's it's a mixture. I think when I first got involved, there was um, maybe not as much understanding about the subject um, as there is now from some specifiers. So we were seeing maybe a higher percentage of kind of poor choices of floors being installed in areas of buildings that are likely to get wet. So, you know, a poolside or um, right. a washroom or a hotel bathroom or something, you know, those or a kitchen, those environments, um, they're going to get wet. So therefore you need to have a, a, a slip resistant surface there. Um, so I would say that's improved over the years for sure. Um, I think there's a big problem around cleaning and maintenance. So a lot of the problems that I see now when it comes to slip and falls are on floor surfaces that when they were chosen and installed were good had a good level of slip resistance on them but they haven't been maintained on a daily basis particularly well and so kind of contamination has built up on the surface and that's producing kind of a film between your foot and the floor and making it slippery so so a lot of the problems are are down to that i would say you know it's it's funny you should mention that because i had a telephone call just the other day from from an attorney that has a slip fall case and they uh, let me let me just explain what the issue (laughs) <laughs> explain what the issue is because it's kind of interesting. This person slipped and fell on this tile almost six, seven years ago. And um, they ended up, you know, the attorney, the, the person ended up suing the hotel, what it occurred at. And that, that lawsuit was over. And what happened with that lawsuit, we don't know. But now what the attorneys are doing is they're, they're actually going in and suing the tile manufacturer, stating that mm-hmm. their tile, you know, is, is not, not slip resistant. And, uh, if you look at their data sheet, you know, that comes with the tile, it's, you know, they've done all the testing and everything. So what you're mm-hmm. saying is, is so true. And, and what I, what I told the attorney, and you can back me up here is that, you know, I, I don't care. You know, when, when someone goes in and they say a tile is slippery, there's so many other factors involved other than the tile itself. Yeah. And you just mentioned one of them, mm-hmm. I mean, the one, one's shoe. Do you find that to be the case? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've got this kind of model that I've developed um, using an acronym called CHIMES, and that sets out the six reasons why somebody might slip. So you've got contamination. So if a floor is clean and dry, nobody's going to slip on it. Uh, if there's water or grease, then somebody may slip. Uh, heel, so the foot, uh, which plays an important role because obviously fundamentally if somebody slips, it's a heel striking a floor, grip on the heel, that reduces the chance of a slip right. occurring. Um, yeah. Eyes for individual, so we can all walk on slippery floors, we can all walk on ice skating rinks without slipping over. Um, if we're concentrating, if we're um, taking care, if we're looking out for hazards and so on and so forth, there's all sorts of factors there around the people. M is for maintenance, so we touched on that before, you know, how a surface is clean just because a tile uh, or any surface, in fact, you know, comes out of the box uh, with a certain slip resistance value. Uh, is it installed properly? Uh, is it then cleaned and maintained properly? And these things can change um, significantly right. over time. Uh, e is environment, so things like lighting and noise make a difference, uh, steps, slopes, stairs, things like that. And S is for the surface. So the surface itself is only one-sixth of the problem, uh, or the potentially. Um, so you need to look at all these things in a kind of holistic way. And um, I mean, I, I, my experience is that, you know, tiles uh, aren't often, um, there aren't often issues with the manufacturer of tiles. You know, normally what you see is what you get. So as long as the person right. specifying the, the floor has done their homework properly, and that tends to be, certainly here in the UK, it tends to be the case that it's the architect or the end client that's making that decision on specification. Uh, not the tile company. So we, we would probably not have uh, that scenario where somebody would be coming back against the tile company. They'd be going back to the architect if, if they felt right. there was an issue with a poor right. choice of uh, floor. Absolutely. So let, let's take a look at a more more detail as to, you know, let's take an, an example on how someone, let's say someone, you know, has an issue, maybe not an accident, but maybe, you know, I, I, I want to know if my floor is slippery or not. Obviously, you would hmm. test. And what I'm curious to know is how, wh- what do you do to test over there in the UK? Uh, you know, what instrument sure. do you use? How do you, how do you go about that? Sure. So we're fortunate because the, uh, the government here has a, um, a wing or an arm called the HSE, the Health and Safety Executive. Uh, and so in, in the law in the UK, uh, we have a very clearly defined um, law about slip test measurement, and we use a piece of machinery called a pendulum test. Um, whereas uh, my understanding in the States is that there isn't anything um, federal around uh, slip resistance. So That's I think it's done true. on a state-by-state basis. Um, and so there's, there's, there can be this kind of mis, um, misalignment, let's say, because if you've got, you know, uh, one... Uh, one attorney using one test and the tile company using another test and the um, uh, the owner of the building using a third test, which is conceivably possible. Uh, you know, who do you believe and, and what's what's correct? So we're kind of lucky that at least we've got that one thing that, that is um, consistent. So the, the pendulum is a, um, a way of measuring the dynamic coefficient of friction. So there's two ways of measuring how slippery a surface is. There's... Uh, at a headline level, there's a, there's a static coefficient and a dynamic coefficient. Um, the HC here believes that the dynamic coefficient is uh, is more attuned to actually what happens when somebody slips. Um, yep. It swings like a pendulum, strikes the floor, mimics that interaction between the heel and floor, 
um, gives you a number, <clears throat> and basically, the higher the number, the more grip. And uh, in court cases, you're, you're normally looking for a number in the wet of 36 or above. And if you've got that, you're in a very good and strong position to defend the claim. Absolutely. And let me let me kind of uh, back up a little bit and explain what's happened here in the United States over the last couple of years. Um, hmm. We for uh, up till oh, probably about a year or two ago, you're correct. There was no federal standard, but there were some testing agency standards that that were that were out there. And up until a couple of years ago, we've typically measured the static coefficient of friction. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, using using standard pull tests, and there are obviously various meters that that can accomplish that. But recently, within the last couple of years, uh, they're only recognizing the dynamic coefficient of friction. Uh, we use a okay. uh, an instrument an instrument called the BOT 3000. I don't know if you're familiar with that one or not, but it's yeah, I am. Yeah, it's okay. So you know what that is? It's pretty much a little robot that you press a button in and, and it gives yeah. you the dynamic coefficient of friction. So that's where we are in the United States, and and right now there's a little bit of a battle uh, amongst the amongst the experts and and the different should we say certifying agencies or standard agencies mm. because they're recommending a particular brand which typically goes against standards but that that's a whole a whole other topic so it's interesting to see yeah. that uh you guys are dealing with um uh yeah, with the we, dynamic we have, um, as well yeah i mean we yeah. we have uh, three or four manufacturers of, of, the, of the pendulum um test so it's not as if there were loads of them, um, and I'm sure they, if there were more um, manufacturers, they would be a little bit cheaper. But because um, they're, they're, they're fairly expensive to buy, uh, but um, yes, yeah, it's, very it's expensive. A, it's not the cartel. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's super expensive. So so how often would you recommend? Let, let's take a commercial building for example, a bank lobby, a hotel mm. lobby. I mean, how often yeah. would you recommend uh, going in and doing a slip reading? So we work with a number of insurers, um, such as AXA. Um, we do a bit with CNA, who are, who are uh, big over there, AIG, um, and, and, and various others. And when we're working with them, as their kind of approved risk management supplier for this kind of uh, risk. Uh, they and we would, would generally recommend to uh, their clients that they should be doing something at least annually. Um, and then depending on the... Uh, perceived risk or history of accidents or indeed the results of the tests they might increase that frequency in certain areas of certain buildings um, but yeah taking your example of a, of a of a lobby of a hotel or a bank or something like that an annual test would be more than sufficient um, in in my view because you know if you if you test and you, you've got that result and you can benchmark it um, probably not much is going to change in between times uh, however, going back to what we said about cleaning, you need to be aware right. of just any changes that could happen. So if you change your cleaning contractor halfway through that year, it's probably a good time to get a test just to make sure that they're not going to be fundamentally changing the way that your floor performs because of the way they're going to clean it. Exactly. And, you know, one of the things that I always say uh, when it comes to slip slip readings is that if you look at a slip reading only tells you what the slip resistance was on that floor at the moment you've taken that reading, you know, which Absolutely. goes back to what, which goes back to what you just said. I mean, someone can come along and, you know, spill something on the floor that that's, that's super slippery, uh, improper maintenance. So uh, why don't we talk a little bit about, you know, what can someone do 
to help maintain that floor, to keep that floor, you know, up to up to par, in other words. So I think the um, one of the challenges that, that we see, and I'm sure it must be the same there, is that there's a real lack of um, expertise around floor care. So yep. we have lots of big uh, cleaning contractors who, you know, clean thousands of buildings, and they're very good at mobilising people and and doing other sorts of things. But actually, the uh, and they would admit this as well, you know, that the level of expertise and knowledge around floor care has uh, has diminished certainly over over many years. So we see a lot of kind of standard practices which aren't actually cleaning floors effectively. Um, so I'm I'm a big fan of, of acronyms, as you'll as you'll gather in a second. And I've I've got another acronym around cleaning. Right. So for me, it's about understanding what is effective cleaning and what isn't. Um, and to get effective cleaning right, um, I've got uh, an acronym <clears throat> called Rotors. So not the cleaning rotor. I don't know if you do that expression, okay. but we would we would use right. that expression. So like rotor, rotor being a timetable, but but rotors and and R is for regularity. So you know surfaces require a certain level of, of frequency of cleaning. So if you're cleaning a um, a floor in a uh, a shower, for example, in a, in a in a leisure club or a gym, you know that floor needs to be cleaned pretty frequently. Whereas other floors right. maybe could be cleaned less frequently. Um, o is for organisation. So you need to have somebody there ideally within the client that actually knows what good looks like and can quantify and, and, and organize and manage what's going on so that you can ensure that the process works. T is all about time. So we see a lot of challenges around this. You know, a, a cleaning company will come in and they'll say, oh, we can clean your shopping center in 10 hours a day when it's actually a 30-hour a day job, you know, to do it properly. Uh, so you can't, you can't scrape on time. Uh, a is about ability, so actually training, having experienced people. Again, as I said, there's, there's a lack of knowledge and having the right skills. And S is the system, so getting right the, the method, you know, whether that's a, a pad or a brush, whether you're using a machine or manual, whether you're using a chemical or no chemical, and get all of this stuff together as a, as a, as a process. Uh, and that's kind of a head, at a headline level what I see is a way of making it work. In terms of the challenges I see, as I say, there's a lack of expertise. There's also issues around, I think, it's fair to say, the floor manufacturers who uh, give O&M uh, cleaning information, but it's typically very generalist. And I know they do that for a reason, because they're, they're kind of working on the lowest common denominator, and they're not really interested in um, how you're cleaning the floor. They just don't need to damage the floor and then come back and complaining to them. So I think there's a bit of a challenge there. And then from a cleaning company perspective, you know, most of these big cleaning companies will have these kind of global deals with Ecolab or Diversity or whoever it might be. Uh, right. So they'll be pigeonholed into using certain products. And, you know, those companies make make some good products, don't get me wrong, uh, but they might not necessarily have the, the right product for that right floor in that right location. And so, you know, the, there's all sorts of ways that this can go wrong. Yeah, that's, that's you know, a big big uh, population of our listenership are are what we call restoration contractors. You know, those guys that go mm. in there and re- restore, you know, especially stone flooring, yeah. but, but they do other types of yeah. flooring also. How, how would you recommend they protect themselves. Now, let me let me give you a little bit more detail on that as well. You know, the, these guys are generally not the daily cleaning. You know, they're not the ones in there yeah. doing the dust mopping, the wet mopping. They may be, they may come in there as as 
little as say once a month and sometimes, you know, once every couple of years. But of course, they're in the line of, of, of responsibility for, you know, keeping that floor, you know, slip resistant. How would you suggest they approach that? Yeah, well, that's kind of what we do as well. So we we have our, our particular specialism about um, slip safety, but we also do kind of periodic floor care for clients as well. So that's kind of exactly where, where we are. So um, I right. can answer that uh, from, from, a, from a position of being in, in that position as well. Um, I think the key thing is to uh, just understand, you know, and actually communicate with the client as to what their expectation is, because as you said, whatever you're doing to the floor from the perspective of safety um, is only as good as the day you've done it. That's all you can stand by really um, if you're not doing that daily cleaning. So, you know, we, what we tend to do is we'll have a good relationship with the client and we'll explain, you know, if we're doing an anti-slip treatment or a deep clean or a seal or whatever it might be, um, we're going to bring it up to this standard. We can certify that standard by testing it or by, um, swab testing the, the the bacteria level or whatever it might be. Um, so you've got a, a quantifiable benchmark. It's then really important that, that we work with the cleaning, uh, the daily cleaning contractor, so they understand, you know, what they should do and shouldn't do. And so we will um, offer that kind of as a service to sort of say to the, the cleaning company, look, um, tell us what products you've got, <clears throat> tell us what equipment you've got, and we'll kind of use our expertise to say, well, use this pad or this brush, use this chemical, right. don't use this chemical, uh, and, and then try to help them to do the best job that they can for, for the client. Because um, whilst, you know, we, we can go in and, and, and transform uh, a floor, and we, we, we talk about kind of deep cleaning the floors that you thought were uncleanable. That's one of our sort of taglines, I guess. Um, right. If that floor then deteriorates within a week because the daily cleaning companies messed it all up, we're probably not going to be invited back um, because right. they're going to think, well, it's a waste of money. So, you know, whilst we don't have any uh, financial, direct financial interest in the cleaning company doing it, doing it well, and you could argue that actually we don't want to do it that well, but we, we, our, our view, my view is that, you know, we should be supporting those guys. Um, and so from the perspective of protecting ourselves, you know, by, by doing all of that open communication, you know, that gives the client a lot of confidence, um, but they also understand that, you know, we can't be responsible for what the, the, the cleaning company is doing. All we can do is is um, support and advise them. Now, would would you recommend, I mean, how, how, how important do you think record keeping is for any of those parties involved? It's very, very important. Um, so, uh, if, if it ever gets to, I mean, obviously our, our legal system's to yours but not not too different right. I think but I mean if, if anything ever gets to court you know I mean we had a, a case recently where a uh, a gentleman slipped over in a supermarket um, he was he was I think he was about eight, 89 or something he fractured his hip and he was mm. you know in hospital and so on and so forth and that led to obviously a say uh, uh, where he uh, sued to the supermarket for compensation but they were also uh, criminally uh, sued by the government by the HSE, and that led to a uh, getting on for a million dollar fine, which in our terms is, is a high fine because we we don't have right. punitive damages here. Um, in that case, there they uh, they didn't even uh, look at the slip resistance of the floor because kind of everybody accepted straight away that the floor was slippery. 
Um, but mm. it all came down to, you know, when was the last inspection and could they prove they've done this and could they prove they've done that uh, and so on and so forth. So that is really, really critical. But, but again, I think the advantage of, of being in this kind of uh, uh, maintenance contractor position is that you can kind of say, and this is the way we do it with our insurer partners, we can say, look, you as the insurer uh, can rely on the fact that we've done our work within the last six months, um, as opposed to having to rely necessarily on that day-by-day uh, record of the cleaning contractor. So it does give, actually, if you flip it on its head, um, it does give that extra element of protection uh, and and um, the insurance companies certainly here have, have bought into that. So that could be an opportunity for your listeners to think about trying to weave in some risk management. Um, and obviously you can, you know, you can potentially um, start charging a bit more of a premium for that because you're offering some additional value over yep. and above uh, just the aesthetics. Yeah, one of the things that I usually offer when I do when I do slip readings is I offer them a, a, um, a record keeping system, you know, which includes something like a mission statement and then, you know, yeah. show them how to keep their maintenance records. And I, I think that's extremely important. So I agree with you hundred mm. percent. Now, you know, we've yeah. talked about the con- contractors, we've talked about the daily maintenance guys, but what about the suppliers? Now, h- how should they approach this? As in the floor supplies? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, again, here, Things have improved over the last decade uh, where when I got involved in the industry, you know, you would rarely see any slip readings produced by floor suppliers. Um, Nowadays, pretty much every supplier is going to have, maybe not on every single product, but in the majority of their products for commercial buildings anyway, they're going to have the slip readings uh, included. Um, So I think figuring out, you know, what the appropriate test is and getting that testing done and publishing the results is the first thing. Because at least that way you're being open and transparent and you're covering yourself because actually if somebody wants to choose a product that's that's not suitable for the environment, if you've published the slip readings and explained to them, you know, this is what it is, then, you know, that's their decision. And and I think you'd find that there'd be some good protection there and they wouldn't be able to come back and, uh, and come after you for, for that. Um, we work with a number of the uh, distributors here. There aren't that many manufacturers um, of, of tyres in, in the UK. It tends to be that we're, we're buying in from um, Italy or Spain or wherever it might be and, and distributing. Right. Um, but we, we work with a lot of them, so we'll, we'll do the testing for them sometimes um, or we'll go in and actually do testing once floors have been laid. So I think that's an interesting uh, angle that a lot of people miss. Um, yes. You know, if you've got a, a stone or a tiled uh, floor and the handover kind of construction deep clean isn't done effectively, uh, you'll, you'll know this, you know, there'll be, in, there'll be grout residues in the, in the floor, yep. which might not be visible mm-hmm. to the naked eye. So it might be that the floor could be signed off by the client from an aesthetic perspective. Um, but actually, if you were to slip test it, it might still fail. And therefore, you've never actually been handed over the right floor per the specification. So we, we encourage and we do see the suppliers insisting on, particularly in certain environments like swimming pools, insisting on um, the, the, the potential test, uh, slip test being done after the installation cleaning um, and or sealing uh, before the handover, just to make sure, again, that they've, they can prove for their own 
records that they've actually you know handed over that's the product that you bought it's been handed over in the right condition uh, and then it's obviously down to the client uh, to uh, to maintain that as best they can absolutely you know speaking of maintenance i'll tell you an interesting story that happened to me many many years ago kind of along that line and i i had a hotel that uh, a lady had slipped and fell it was a marble floor and of course, they wanted to blame right away the, you know, the flooring. They wanted to blame the people cleaning the floor. So I went and did investigation. And uh, what we found out, and this is why looking at, or I think anyway, looking at other surfaces that are adjacent to, you know, the, the floor in question is very important, is that there was carpeting next to this floor. And they had cleaned the carpet the night before, and they left a wet, soapy residue on the carpet. She stepped on the carpet got the soapy residue on the bottom of her shoe, stepped on the floor and fell. So yep. have you ever seen a situation like that? Oh, all sorts, yeah. I've seen I've seen almost every scenario you can think of. Um, I think uh, yeah, I bet. <laughs> I think I bet. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen um I've seen uh, I'm trying to think of some of the bad ones I've seen. I mean from a from a supplier perspective, um one right. of the worst ones I saw was in was in a hospital where they'd installed uh, about three thousand meters of a tile and it was specified as an anti-slip tile and uh but they put but it opened, the building opened and they hadn't done a slip test as part of the construction on this one but uh, the ah. building had opened and they started having a lot of slips so the tile company was called in to have a look and they called me in to come and have a look at it as their kind of um partner and we did the testing and the floor was, you know, slippery when wet, a lot more slippery when wet than it should have been. Uh, we cleaned it to within an inch of its life, and it was still slippery. And it, it, it turned out, basically, that I think this, this product had come from Brazil, and they must have had some sort of mix-up in the factory because they mm-hmm. had uh, delivered the box that said anti-slip on, and it was the same colour and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, ostensibly, to the, pe- to the installers of the tiles, you know, it said, it said it was the right tile, it was the right colour, they installed it, um, but they'd actually installed. The, they actually put in the, uh, the, the the more slippery version of the tile. So that you know that was a bit of a disaster for the tile company. That was that was quite a quite a challenge yes. um, <laughs> yeah. from the client in that perspective. Um, I mean, I, I I was investigating an accident for a law firm recently. That was on a cruise ship. That was quite interesting. Uh, mm. So that was a guy who uh, allegedly slipped when he was entering into the washroom uh, on the deck of a cruise ship. Um, but interestingly, he had a, a big cut on his cheek. And uh, at the point I made was the surface of the, uh, the floor was quite slippery and wet. But um, my view was that it was unlikely to be a slip because you don't slip and then cut your cheek. Um, right. You slip and... <laughs> You know, you slip and fall backwards. So I, I felt as if he was probably a bit drunk and uh, trying it off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get we get that a lot in our casinos, especially in like Las Vegas. <laughs> People joke yeah, all the time. Yeah. I, I want I want to switch yeah. gears. You had met, you had mentioned something before that that kind of sparked a a, a, a mm-hmm. question here, and this is something I get from contractors all the time, and that is these anti-slip products that are out there. What what are your thoughts on that? As in the treatments or the or the yeah, or the yeah, product the, the, the tiles themselves, the treatments, the treatments. So yeah, so there's a lot of there's a lot of um, smoke and mirrors, should we say, 
um, yes. <laughs> in, in, in that field. So, you know, we, we, we used some of those products. Um, before I set up this company, I was part of a, another company and we actually manufactured some uh, anti-slip uh, products as well. Um, whereas now I don't do any of that. I just I just procure in from uh, from various places and, and and work as a service provider. Um, I think that the majority of these treatments are acid based, and yes. uh, people people will kind of say nowadays anyway, oh, it's not acid etching, it's um, it's something else. But actually, when you look into it, it's just an acid etching yep, uh, exactly. process. And <laughs> And, and, and they are they are very effective, but they just don't last that long. So again, it's all about you know for me um, upfront and, and communicating because actually if, you, if you've got something that's going to work for three months, then that might be fine because the customer might be willing to to, to get you in every three months to redo it, um, albeit that that's probably going to cause some damage over over time to the to the right. surface. Um, you know there are there are products in the marketplace that uh, are effective in the long term, both in terms of treatments uh, for, for for tiles, chemical treatments, uh, as well as other types of treatments for other surfaces. We've been using uh, a lot in the last kind of 12 to 18 months a polymer-based system, uh, and this enables us to. Uh, use it even on like shiny terrazzo or a marble um, mm. and we can maintain uh, I wouldn't say the exact same level of sheen but we can we can maintain a level of sheen um, and we can achieve good wet slip resistance on the pendulum test um, so that that's actually opened up a lot of avenues for us because previous to that you know realistically going into a five-star hotel lobby with a shiny marble floor I'd be saying to them, you know, we can make it less slippery, but it's going to be a lot duller and you, you might not like how it looks. So right. that's opened exactly. up a few avenues. I think I think the challenge is that, you know, the, as I say, there are a lot of, a lot of these products in the marketplace and I don't necessarily think either that the manufacturers really know what the true uh, longevity is of the, products they're offering or they do know and they're perhaps not being as as upfront as they should be about it so i think it's really uh this polymer product for example um got really good relationships with with clients and insurers and various other people and when they've been saying to me well you know how long will this last i've actually said well look guys i've only been using it for a year so all i can tell you right now is i know that it'll last a year i can tell you that the manufacturer tells me x y and z um, but I can't, you know, I can't put my hand on my heart and, and uh, have you put your trust and then you having me into this product um, when I don't actually know the answer. Uh, so I think, you know, it's, it, when you're dealing with safety, I just think it's better to be as honest and upfront as you can. And, and, I, and I do worry that that, that, isn't necessarily, that view isn't necessarily shared by some of the people that are in my field of expertise, should we say. Yes, and I agree with you 100% because we have a ton of them over here, and uh, I've had mm. some heated arguments with a lot of manufacturers on it. But I, I think also this this could possibly create an opportunity for contractors out there, you know, guys that are out there doing uh, the floor work itself. Because in my experience, I usually find that treatments especially, as well as the polymer-based products, are going to require a higher degree or maybe even a higher frequency of maintenance 
than it would yeah. without those without those treatments. So that to me that creates an opportunity for guys that are out there that may want to uh, uh, you know offer that service. It does, and there's also again as I said earlier, there's a lot more value in um, safety. Uh, or, or there's a lot more value in offering aesthetics and safety rather than just aesthetics. So, you know, if if you're speaking with a client and they do have a, a slip and fall issue and you can say, well, look, here's a solution, but it's going to need us to come in every six months rather than every year as we currently do, probably going to be, you know, more keen to go for that than, than they would be if you said, we think we should come in every six months to do a deep clean because it would benefit for you from an aesthetic um, perspective. So I think that, you know, that is a, it's having a string to the bow of, of any contractors out there um, if they can kind of figure out, you know, the best way of doing it and, and find some products and, and processes that they can um, stand behind. I think that's a good that's a good selling point as well. I mean, everybody wants the aesthetics, but everybody's really concerned with safety. You know, they want to make sure. They're yeah. not going to end up in a, in a lawsuit, so that's that that's also true. So, uh, you know, do you know of any businesses here in the U.S. that you would recommend that that have similar services? I know of I know of some. Um, again, as I've just said, I, I couldn't hand on heart say I'd recommend anybody um, because I, I I haven't seen their work and I haven't you know right. I've, sure. I've spoken with people and, and I could say you know here's X Y and Z person, but I but I I couldn't say to you I wouldn't really want to say to you use this company um, sure, because I, I haven't actually physically seen what, what they do um i mean if if anybody's interested in learning more about this space and that you know they can feel free to contact me directly on linkedin or email or whatever and i'd happily introduce them to people that i know but again i just i just say that as, as a caveat sure. you know i'm not vouching for them i'm just aware of them sure and then what is that email and your contact information uh, so you can follow me on LinkedIn, uh, which is so if you, if you were to search for Christian Harris Slip Safety, I would come up. Um, the website is www.slipsafety.co.uk, so .co.uk, um, and we've got a few. Uh, my email, sorry, is um, charris at slipsafety.co.uk. Uh, and on the website, there's loads of content there, which uh, listeners might find useful. And we've also got quite a few kind of different interactive tools as well. So we've got this thing called the Slip Safety Scorecard, which will uh, benchmark your performance on those six um, mm. reasons why somebody might slip the chimes thing. So you answer a few questions and it will give you a score uh, and give you some tips on what you can do there. Uh, there's a tool around uh, which level of slip resistance to have in different areas of buildings as well, which people find useful. So, you know, what, what level of slip resistance do you need in a, in a kitchen versus a hotel bathroom versus a, a dance floor in a nightclub, whatever it might be. Um, so there's quite a few things on there. And um, LinkedIn is a good place because pretty much every day I'm doing content um, around, you know, these, these sorts of topics, uh, whether it's um, articles or videos or links or whatever it might be. So um, if anybody's interested, then, Hit me up on uh, hit me up on LinkedIn. Good, fantastic. Well, Christian, I thank you. Any last minute comments before we before we leave you? No, it's been it's been good. Thank you very much. Um, as I say, very happy to try and help people. Um, you know, if anybody's interested in learning more about this subject, always happy to chat and uh, see if I can point you in the right direction. So uh, give us give us a call or an email or something. 
All righty. Thank you, Christian. It's been great, and uh, keep safe over there, okay? Pleasure. Same to you. All right. Thank you. So long. All righty, folks, that was uh, the interview. That was your quarter, so we are back live again. A couple of things I want to add, uh, but before I do, let me give the phone number out in case you have any questions about slip fall. It's 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. And when we come back after this, I'm going to talk about why you as an installer uh, really need to be concerned with slip resistance. So I'll be right back after this message. Thank you, Tough Skin, one of our gold sponsors. Marble etches and stains, Tough Skin guarantees it will not. Tough Skin provides a unique product and installation service anywhere in the USA with a proprietary stone laminate products. They protect marble countertops with an acid, oil, and waterproof guarantee. That's right, it's now possible to install marble, onyx, and travertine countertops without the worry of etching and staining from common household items like wine, lemon, coffee, or other acidic foods. People have been trying to figure this out for thousands of years, and Tough Skin Surface Protection has done it. Available in gloss and satin to match the countertop finish. Visit them online at toughskinprotection.com. That's T-U-F-F skinprotection.com to learn more. All righty, folks, we're back. Um, you know, I got to apologize. First of all, there was a little bit of a dead air in the beginning of that interview. And if you're listening to this live, you're going to hear that. If you're listening to this on a podcast uh, being re-aired, I'm going to go ahead and edit that out. So if you're listening to it on a podcast, then never mind what I said. One of the things I found uh, when I'm researching slip fall work is um, so it was some interesting facts about slip fall accidents in the United States. And I kind of want to read them real quick. And then I want to discuss you know, why you as particularly the installers out there, you guys that are out there that are installing tile, not only on floors, but in showers, et cetera, why you be, need to be concerned with this. And I'll get to that in a minute. But here are the top 10. Uh, more than 1 million people go to the emergency room each year for a slip fall accident. That's something like 2,000 people a day. The average cost of a slip and fall is anywhere between thirty dollars and $40,000. Someone is always negligent cause of the injury. Approximately 5% of slip and falls involve broken bones. Approximately one-third of adults over 65 fall each year. But slip and falls are the leading cause of injury in all age groups. Falls are the most common cause of brain injury, and falls are the most common cause of hip fractures. Medical bills for slip and fall injuries top $34 billion per year Slip and fall victims miss an average of 11 days of work. And finally, only 2% of cases actually go to a jury trial. And I've been involved in a couple of those over, over the years, but most of the time they do, they do settle. So, you know, why would you, why would you be concerned with this as a tile installer? For example, you go in, you install someone's shower or, you know, someone's floor, whatever. And later on someone falls, you know, why would they come after you? Well, First of all, there's several reasons, and one of the, the really what really made me aware of this is a, a case I ran into just recently. I got hired for, and that was uh, someone slipped and fell in a lobby in, in a resort or a hotel or some somewhere, and uh, they ended up the, the person that fell ended up suing the hotel. That case got settled, but now the uh, attorneys from the, the 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 hotel that got sued are now suing the tile installer and the tile distributor. So for example, let's say, you know, you recommend to your client a particular type of tile 
and then they fall on that tile, uh, you can be liable. Now, I'm not an attorney. I can't tell you how much you'll be liable, but uh, attor- what attorneys like to do is drag everybody that they possibly can into a lawsuit. So you definitely need to be concerned. All right. Unless there's any questions, I'm going to wrap things up here. Uh, a couple of uh, announcements before I do. First of all, I know I've announced on the show before that I have the Stone and Tile show stickers, and I was going to announce the winner of that, but because of this coronavirus thing, I've actually ex- extended that another month. So if anybody wants any stickers to put on their truck, their toolbox or whatever, uh, go ahead and send me an email to Houston. that's F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com or send me a message on on, on the Facebook or Messenger and all I really need is your mailing address uh, so I can get uh, two of those stickers uh, out to you. Also, the uh, sale I'm having on my correspondence classes is going to be ending soon. And I'm telling you guys, this is a terrific deal. You know, for example, the Stone Tile and Inspection Troubleshooting Seminar, I normally charge $1,500. While this coronavirus thing is going on, I cut that price in half to $750. And I've done the same thing on the Stone Restoration class. Uh, that class is usually, let's see what I have on my, uh, usually $499. So basically $500. I've cut that down to $250. So uh, if you want to get a hold of that, it's going to end real soon. Definitely uh, send me an email and uh, get a hold of me, and we'll, we'll get that get that out to you. We can email the whole class to you. So that's not that's not a problem. All righty. Next week, we are going to be interviewing Alpha, Alpha Professional Tools. A lot of you guys are familiar with that. We're going to be talking about uh, blades and saws and the technology, especially when it comes to cutting some of these new materials like the porcelain slabs. Uh, so make sure you tune into that. Uh, in the meantime, I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, until next time, keep setting those tiles, polishing that stone, fabricating those tops. Later, my friends.